We're going to see some new asset classes that get launched that become popular. So there's a lot of things going on in the uh, digitization world. So certain asset classes like that take off. ETFs are going to be there to better connect buyers with sellers. So it's going to be very interesting to see what comes from the ETF world. We've seen a lot of structured outcome ETFs as well. Hello, welcome to Strictly Money. This is your go-to source for navigating financial issues you care about. I'm your host, Sejal Patel. Have you ever wondered what's behind the surge of popularity for ETFs in Canada? Well, stick around because we're going to dive into the key factors behind its meteoric rise. Believe it or not, the industry has seen a compound annual growth rate of 20%. And it's not just because of lower fees. So whether you're a seasoned pro or new to finance, if you really want to take advantage of the growth in 2024, then you are in the right place because we are not just talking about numbers, we are diving into actionable strategies. Alfred Lee is the investment strategist at BMO Asset Management. I always love his insights and I know you will as well. Welcome to Strictly Money, Alfred. Great to see you. Great to be here. So Alfred, um, this 20% annual compound growth in the ETF industry, certainly nothing to scoff at. You know, I, I know it's popular because of lower fees and, and flexibility, but maybe you can walk us through the drivers. What's behind the numbers? Yeah, you know, when you look at the ETF industry, it's really grown over the last 10 to 15 years, I would say. And, and usually when you look at every different market, there's always early adopters. In the Canadian ETF industry, I would say primarily, initially, it was it was built for institutional investors, but retail advisors have definitely been the early adopters in the Canadian market. In the last five to seven years, however, I'd say a lot of the growth has come from the institutions. Um, so when you look at different asset owners or asset managers, there's been a lot of growth there. And then the interesting thing is that even within that different community, so whether you know, you're know you a family office or a hedge fund or a fund manager or a pension, even if they're looking at the same ETF, they're using it in many, many different ways. And I think that's the beauty of the ETF. And that's why we've seen a lot of growth. There's just so many different ways in which you could apply to a portfolio. I would, I always say, you know, an ETF is almost like the Swiss army knife of the investing world, right? And that's why we're seeing that growth, I think. Oh, that's really interesting. So a lot of institutional investors, um, what about retail investors? Because I always find this interesting. You know, I, I'm on a, a number of sort of do-it-yourself uh, sites on, on Facebook, and there's a big community where where they discuss a lot of ETFs and, and their strategies. What are you seeing in that retail? investor space. With the direct channel, I find simplicity sells, or that's what they want. So a lot of index-based products, that's typically what they look, look for. It's low cost, it's transparent, they know exactly what they're getting. So usually when you know they look at financial media and they see the S&P 500, and then they just find an ETF that tracks the indexes that they know. In addition to that, what we've seen a lot in that area is you know, a lot of thematic ETFs as well. So investors targeting certain niches that they want. Covered calls have also been very popular in that space as well, just because people want yield in their portfolio. And, and last but not least, when you look at asset allocation ETFs, so, you know, an ETF of ETFs, that's been a great solution for them as well, because a lot of investors that don't know or don't have the financial know-how, it's a one-ticket solution that allows them to have a professionally built portfolio that is rebalanced on a regular basis. So it sounds like there's a, a wide range of investors now. So you have the ones who are maybe just at the entry point and want something more broad-based. And then there's ones who are actually looking for something more sophisticated. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, with the ETF world, 
world. There's always new users. So, you know, we've been in the uh, ETF game at BMO for 15 years now, or almost 15 years. And, you know, at the beginning, it was always about ETF 101. But as the industry has grown, it's now about, you know, ETFs 201, ETFs 301. So there's more advanced users. But because there's new users coming into the space all the time, you can't forget about the 101. So I think it's a growing space. There's new users all the time. But as I mentioned, I think you know, there's a lot of growth in the ETF industry still. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of um, investors are e- educated as well. Like it does say something about the sophistication of investors if, if they're looking at these strategies. Alfred, the mutual fund industry still way bigger. You know, I was looking at the numbers. So the assets held in ETF still represent only about 22% of the entire mutual fund industry. Um, not that there's a competition really between the two, because I, I personally think there's room for both. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on what could propel the ETF industry even further. Yeah. You know, to your point, it's a little bit of apples to oranges, right? So not to date myself, but I remember, you know, when I got back, got into the ETF industry, it was like low single digits, maybe not low single digits, but high single digits. So we've come a long way. But, you know, when you look at the mutual fund industry, uh, usually what you find is, let's say, if you look at the Canadian equity mandate, you can literally have a 100 different managers managing you know, different Canadian equity mandates. In the ETF world, there's only that many ways to slice and dice it. On the flip side, however, you know, ETFs are sold to both institutions and retail investors. So I think because of that, there's a lot of growth left. So I don't know whether it's going to overtake the mutual fund industry, but when you look at a lot of the trends, both regulatory and the industry, um, it tends to favor ETFs, right? So one, you know, when you look at a lot of regulatory changes, so things like CRM2, CRM3, that requires a lot more transparency and fees, which favors ETFs. Also, you know, a lot of um, retail brokerages are pushing towards fee-based programs, which ETFs are a natural fit for. And last but not least, when you look at demographic trends, for example, you know, we're anticipating a lot of, you know, inheritance from the older generations to the younger generations. And the younger generations typically like ETFs over different investment vehicles. You mentioned the retail brokerages. So are advisors starting to really embrace ETFs? Because that wasn't the case I found at least, um, you know, even five, 10 years ago. Yeah, there's there's been different camps. I mean, you know, there's a lot of investors 10 years ago or when we first got into ETFs at BMO, uh, when we first started the business, there's a lot of stock pickers. I mean, typically um, a lot of portfolio managers back then, they would build a portfolio by using, you know, 20 to 30 stocks and then some bonds on the other side. And now what you're seeing is that a lot of retail advisors building portfolios more holistically. So using building blocks rather than picking individual stocks. So the trend has changed just in terms of portfolio construction, but we're definitely seeing a lot of uh, retail advisors use ETFs in their books uh, predominantly. I think that'll be really interesting, Alfred, because I'm I'm certainly having a lot of conversations with advisors and and they seem to be moving away from, as you said, the stock picking because they're realizing, you know, their value add is not necessarily the investment side. It's pretty hard to beat the market is certainly consistently, but really their value add is, is sort of that whole financial planning piece. Absolutely. And, th- and that's what we're seeing on our end as well. Um, as I mentioned, it's it's a lot less uh, stock picking. And I think with ETFs and a lot of, um, you know, ETFs aren't just index tracking products now. There's a lot of, you know, structured solutions, ETFs that target specific outcomes. So because of that, there's a lot of solutions and, and also, you know, tax efficient ETFs that focus on discount bonds, for example. Uh, so they're almost like solutions. So advisors use them for specific solutions, you know, whatever they're based on their portfolio needs. Yeah. So let's talk about that, Alfred, because 
because um, let's talk about the innovation piece because I found this was interesting. Now, I did not know this. I did not know that Canada was the birthplace of ETFs 33 years ago. So, hey, I just I just learned something new. But there's been a lot of firsts when it comes to ETFs in Canada as well. Can you talk about that? Yeah. You, the reason why you may not have heard of it is because when you talk to a lot of the Americans, they claim the first ETF was SPY, but actually it was the tips and hips, which came two years uh, prior to that. But you know, you're absolutely right. The Canadian uh, ETF industry has definitely been a hotbed for innovation. So uh, in addition to the first ETF, the first bond ETF was in Canada. I believe the first currency hedged ETF was in, in Canada as well. And also, you know, the first covered call ETF using specific stocks rather than an index. And then a couple of years ago, we got the Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs, spot uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And a couple of weeks ago in the U.S., they just launched, right? So that's another good example of how you know, the ETF community in Canada is very innovative. And the regulators up here have been very flexible and knowledgeable and willing to work with ETF providers as well. Yeah, I've, I've been hearing that. And as you know, I, I had interviewed Kathy Wood earlier on when we launched this as, as a podcast. And, and she had mentioned the fact that um, the regulators here seem to be a lot more embracing of innovation, which is which is quite interesting because you tend to associate that sort of thing with the US, but not in this case. Anything, Alfred, that you anticipate in terms of innovative products or, or anything you would like to see the industry develop? Well, I think the ETF industry has always been evolving, right? So based on new asset classes such as, you know, Bitcoin. So that was a good example of how, you know, when new asset classes come out, ETFs are basically that connection point. So, you know, prior to ETFs and even gold is a good example. Uh, prior to gold ETFs, uh, people could buy gold, but ETFs is basically that connection point that better connects demand and supply. You know, prior to that, people would have to go out and buy gold physically. Now they could do it through an ETF. Same thing for uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. We're going to see some new asset classes that get launched that become popular. So there's a lot of things going on in the uh, digitization world. So certain asset classes like that take off. ETFs are going to be there to better connect buyers with sellers. So it's going to be very interesting to see what comes from the ETF world. We've seen a lot of structured outcome ETFs as well. So I think that's as you know, as we mentioned before, as investors get more sophisticated, these are better tools for them to uh, position their portfolios. Yeah, let's uh, we'll uh, definitely un uncover all of that stuff, the structured and, and the different types of strategies that investors can use. So we'll continue this conversation, but I do want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, at least the sponsor of this show, which is none other than BMO ETS. We'll be right back. Are you looking to enhance the level of cash flow from your investments? BMO ETFs has you covered with their Covered Call ETFs. These ETFs generate cash flow from two sources, the dividend yield from the underlying securities and the premium generated from selling the call options. BMO Covered Call ETFs strike a balance between generating cash flow and participating in the growth of rising markets with your experienced portfolio management team and effective strategy with over 10 years of history. BMO ETFs is the largest covered call ETF provider in Canada, covering 13 covered call ETFs across a range of strategies across regions, countries, and sectors. Visit BMOETFs.com to learn more. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing.
Welcome back. I'm here with Alfred Lee of BMO Asset Management. Alfred, let's dive into some of the strategies that investors can use when it comes to ETFs. And I guess it would depend on their outlook for 2024. The first one I want to talk about is sort of those broad index ETFs, because that seems to be, you know, the popular one. A lot of people use them as sort of that buy and hold strategy. Certainly the ones that I tend to read a lot about and hear a lot about are the ones that either cover the TSX or the S&P 500. Maybe talk about your outlook for both of those because um, you know I was looking at some of the numbers I know the S&P returned about a 12% annualized return over the last 10 years so it certainly does you know give that case for a buy and hold it certainly supports that yeah so when you look at uh, you know what's going on from a macroeconomic perspective for example it's all about interest rates right now it's all about inflation and, and weather inflation that last bit of inflation is going to uh, flame out so everybody's anticipating these rate cuts uh, this year but when we look at you know interest rate expectations, you know, the market's pricing in between five to six rate cuts by the Fed, which I think, you know, in my opinion, I think it's almost like it's too much for a soft landing. It's too little for a full blown recession. So somewhere you know along the year, I think we're going to get a repricing in assets. So things like ETFs, things like factor based ETFs are a good way to position a portfolio. But as you mentioned, I think with an index based ETF. You know, it's very, as you mentioned before, it's, it's very hard to outperform the market overall over the long term. So that's why we see a lot of, you know, popularity in ETFs that track the broad based index. But the way I look at broad based indexes is almost, you know, if I asked you, if you could invest in a company that never went bankrupt or always evolved with the economy, would you invest in it? And most people would say yes, right? And that's exactly how I view an index. The constituents are going to change over time. Uh, you know, the top 20 today are going to look very different than what it did 20 years ago. 20 years from now, it's going to look very different as well. And, you know, the likelihood of all 500 companies in the S&P 500 going default, slim to none, right? So that's how I look at index investing. It's almost investing in the company that is always evolving over time. What's your outlook for the TSX and in the, in the Canadian economy? I think, you know, as I mentioned, it's all about uh, rate cuts right now. So with the U.S., I think, you know, their economy is, is a lot stronger. So there's a lot less likelihood that they would have to cut as aggressively as the market anticipates. With Canada, you know, just with the macroeconomic backdrop, it's a little bit weaker here. Um, so the likelihood that we do get rate cuts, especially with uh, household debt at record levels, probably uh, we'll see some rate cuts in this year. So that's probably going to be stimulative for risk assets in Canada. So um, overall, I think um, things look pretty good in Canada unless we get some kind of a meltdown in the housing market. Do you have any... Um I don't want to say advice because advice is very personalized to, to the individual, but just a way that investors can consider sort of how much of the TSX, you know, an index that follows the TSX versus the S&P, how much they should hold. And, and I ask this question also because I see, again, a lot of investors who are solely focused on the two. And, you know, my thought is, they're still not quite diversified because the U.S. market and the Canadian market tend to be highly correlated. And I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I would say a lot of Canadian investors actually have a lot of uh, Canadian content in their portfolio. Um, I think a lot of data shows between 50 to 70 percent, depending on which studies, which, you know, a lot of investors will typically have some uh, home country bias, uh, but I think when you have it in Canada, it's almost detrimental because, you know, when you look at the Canadian economy, it's 1% of the global economy. The 
equity markets are about 3% of the global markets. So you're really missing out on a lot by investing in Canada or having a large portion of your portfolio in Canada. But to your point earlier, you know, some Canadian investors definitely have a lot of U.S. exposure, but they could definitely get more diversified by getting exposure to international markets, emerging markets, and even other asset classes as well, right? And I think ETFs have certainly made that a lot more convenient for investors. Even you know, 10 years ago, investors could not build a portfolio as robust as they can today. Yeah. Speaking of the U.S., especially the S&P 500, a lot of talk about this and, and what it's largely driven by, which is the magnificent Seven, and I guess it would depend on what an investor thinks about those seven stocks, whether it's overvalued, whether you're going to see some sort of rotation. How do you use uh, an ETF? That's a great question. I mean, if you look at last year, Magnificent 7 definitely drove a lot of the returns, whether you're looking at the S&P 500 or NASDAQ. Um, so what we see a lot of investors right now is, you know, they're taking a little bit of risk off the table, so to speak. So for example, you know, when you look further out, there's no, you know, debate that the Magnificent Seven are probably going to be driving economic growth over the next decade. They're here to stay. However, when you look at 2024 over the shorter term, you know, who knows whether they're going to underperform or outperform. So because of the strong performance in 2023, a lot of investors are using ETFs as a stock replacement. So essentially, you know, getting out of those single stocks and then replacing it with something like ZQQ, uh, which is our NASDAQ ETF, which is going to have exposure to the Magnificent Seven, or something like ZUQ, which is our high-quality ETF, which also has a lot of exposure to the Magnificent Seven, but a lot more diversified. Ah, interesting. Let's talk about bonds, Alfred, because bonds seem to be back, especially with anticipation of rate cuts. How does an investor play the bond market through ETFs? I always joke around, and I always say, I managed our fixed income ETFs for 10 plus years. During that time, yields were about half a percent. And here we are a couple of years later, you know, the overnight rate is five and a half percent in the US, 5% in Canada. So yields have never been that attractive. But I think with um, bond ETFs, it certainly allows investors to uh, get a more robust portfolio. You know, instead of trading individual bonds, ETFs definitely make it a lot more practical. Bid offer spreads are tighter. They get more transparency. They get more liquidity as well. Uh, but we definitely see a lot of investors, you know, using an aggregate bond exposure and then using, you know, specific ETFs that target specific parts of the yield curve or credit in order to use those you know, tactical positions around that core. Ah, okay. I want to talk about alternatives as well, Alfred, because alternatives is this, you know, kind of um, lots of things going to alternatives. <laughs> and when you hear that term, a lot of people think, oh, well, that's really risky. But there's a lot of alternatives and certainly alternative strategies that actually reduce risk. So can you just talk a little bit about that and, and, the, and the role of sort of structured products and, and how that plays in? Yeah, so we've definitely had a lot of conversations on alternatives. So we did a roadshow um, a couple of months ago across the country. We met with a lot of advisors as well. And one conversation that consistently came up was alternatives and the use in the portfolio. So I think, um, you know, right now you're seeing a lot of ETFs push into that space, especially with the changes in 81102, which now uses or allows ETFs to provide more exposures in that space. But we've seen, certainly seen a lot of investors use um, exposure in the alternative space uh, to get access to things like gold, for example, uh, long short strategies, structured outcomes as well. I think after, you know, 2022, when both fixed income and equities kind of fell at the same time, uh, that really kind of ramped up the demand for alternatives. So we're certainly hearing a lot of noise in that area. Can you talk a little bit more? You mentioned long 
long short strategy. Can you just explain to some of our listeners or our viewers exactly what that is and how that would work? Sure. So long short strategy is essentially equity strategy, which goes long certain amount of stocks, but then also shorts certain stocks as well. So we have uh, two long short uh, strategies that we launch. We have a long short US and we have a long short Canada uh, ETF as well. So essentially what we do is uh, we go long uh, stocks that we like and we short stocks that we do not like. The good thing about this is that you know, when the markets appreciate, you still have that long exposure. But when the market corrects, because you have those short exposures, um, it's going to benefit in, in that, you know, performance of these long short strategies is going to be less correlated than the um, traditional long equity markets. I also want to talk about, Alfred, um, covered calls. Uh, in fact, the commercial that we ran was about covered calls. And um, and I think it can play a really important role. Who would that be suited for? And maybe just walk us through the strategy and how that works. Yeah, so income-oriented investors, uh, I think, is a good fit for covered calls. So covered calls, essentially, you know, you hold a basket of stocks, uh, but you're selling call options against those positions in order to collect that additional premium from from writing those call options. Um, so because of that, you're generating a little bit more yield. But I think a lot of income-oriented investors certainly want covered calls. Also, in addition to that, because uh, you're selling call options and you're collecting that premium, it offers a little bit of downside protection as well. Um, so definitely a lot of income investors, but also those that want a little bit more defense as well. Okay. You know, I love the fact that, and I have to mention this because I know BMO um, does a lot of ETF market insights. This is a, a channel that you guys have um, specifically to educate investors, especially do-it-yourself investors on the YouTube channel. So I urge anyone, uh, again, watching or listening to, to go there. Um, education is really a, a key piece of this. And I have to agree with you. I think the more investors get educated, they're going to embrace the ETF industries and, and what it actually has to offer. Alfred, thanks so much for coming on. Now, before I let you go, I like ending the show with um, something a little bit more personalized. So I always ask my guests three rapid fire questions. Are you ready to play? Sure. Okay. So my first question to you is, what is the best financial advice you've received? Probably being patient. And I know that's a, that's a boring one, but it's one that I've come to realize makes more and more sense as I age. I think, you know, when you're a younger investor, uh, you tend to invest in these high flying stocks that you want to make money overnight. But I think, you know, for a longer term investor, what you find as you age is that, you know, being patient and being investing in higher quality stocks, ones that you're not trying to hit a home run every time you come up to bat. Uh, so focusing on hitting singles and doubles is the better way to go. Um, I know it's basic advice, but I think uh, it's it's. I've come to realize that it holds a lot more truth as as I age. Yeah, um, basic advice is good, right? I and I know it sounds sexy when you think about trading. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I've tried it in the past. Didn't end very well. Thank God I didn't put a lot of money into it. But I've done that, you know, and and I've realized the emotions kind of kick in. So boring is good and and patience is very important. So I think that's great advice. So what is the worst financial advice you've received? That's a tough one. Um, I guess the inverse of that one, which is which is trying to make money really quickly. A lot of, you know, as you uh, get into uh, the stock market and start investing, there's a lot of, you know, advice being given, which you try to bet on, you know, penny stocks and, and whatnot. So I think, again, you know, just going back to being patient and 
trying to make money really quick, I think usually is uh, not the safe way to go. Yeah, it's it's really tough to predict the market. In fact, it's impossible to do it consistently, isn't it? And you would know as an investment strategist, and uh, I've covered uh, stock markets for many years as a business journalist, and, and I learned the same thing. Um, Alfred, last question. If you could impart a message to people who maybe want to level up their financial well-being, and it doesn't have to be investment related, but it can be. Uh, what would you tell them? You know, be a student of the markets if, if they uh, want to learn about investing. I think, you know, nowadays there's just so much information online compared to you know, even 10 to 15 years ago. And there's a lot of, um, you know, YouTube channels, blogs, such as, you know, things that you can find online, podcasts such as your own. There's a lot of good advice out there. And I think it's so readily accessible now uh, compared to 20 years ago, where it was very tough to find advice. You would have to go watch, you know, BNN or something and your program, your favorite program would come on maybe once a day. Uh, now there's just so much good information out there. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that's why we, I do this show and, and that's why BMO has its ETF markets insight channel on YouTube, because it's really about trying to financially educate people. I think the more educated people are, the more empowered I think they feel. And um, and then, you know, investing is not as scary as people think. Absolutely not. Thanks so much, Alfred, for coming on again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. Now, if you're watching this and you want the audio version, you can head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify and find us there. And if you're listening to this and you want the video, head over to Strictly Money TV on YouTube. Thanks for watching. We'll see you back here next week.